Restoration Part 3. So we're working our way through here. We're going to finish out tonight, Lord willing. Uh, note uh, the overhead. The theme of Zephaniah is the coming day of the Lord. And we have worked our way through to the final section here, which really relates to kingdom truth. In chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, future restoration for Israel. Well, as noted, the theme of Zephaniah is the coming day of the Lord. Uh, This is also the main theme of the book of Joel in the Old Testament. And it's really a major theme, this day of the Lord theme, that is scattered throughout the Old Testament prophets, built on in the New Testament, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and then comes to full culmination in the book of Revelation. Well, the day of the Lord is just as the title suggests, It is the day of the Lord when he puts his lordship on display front and center in an overt manner. It's all about the lordship of the Lord. It's a time when God intervenes in human history to show undeniably that he is Lord over all. And he does this in fulfillment of prophecy that is centered in Israel in particular. Now there's both a short view and a long view when it comes to the day of the Lord prophecies, as we have noted. Sometimes we call this near partial fulfillment in contrast to distant complete fulfillment. The day of the Lord prophecies major on two times in particular. It's actually three, but two in particular. That being the time of the Babylonian captivity where God intervened in a huge way in terms of judgment and then restoration. And then the tribulation period, which will climax in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So by way of review, and I'm only doing this by way of review since I'm not coming back this way again, right? Not anytime soon. So uh, by way of review, uh, note my definition here. The day of the Lord is the time when God overtly intervenes in human affairs, especially in relation to Israel, with catastrophic judgment in fulfillment of prophecy which overwhelmingly demonstrates his lordship. And then we uh, note these interwoven aspects. Uh, We have uh, near and far, often interwoven very closely together. We've seen this in the book of Zephaniah. And then there's a local aspect and a universal aspect. Of course, the the ultimate day of the Lord, the universal, it's it's a worldwide event. Uh, this coming day of the Lord judgment. And then uh, Judah, Jerusalem, uh, the nations that follow along with that. Uh, We note uh, the reality of prophetic telescoping where there's a near fulfillment, as I have mentioned, near partial, and there's a far or a distant uh, fulfillment as well. And then we note that there's a, a dark judgment phase in relationship to the day of the Lord. And then there's a light blessing phase in terms of the day of the Lord. And, of course, the, uh, it starts with darkness, which is followed by light, which is a, a, a pattern of a typical Jewish day. And we have noted this. Day of the Lord, uh, like a Jewish day, we start with the night, uh, the dark time of the tribulation period, the day of the Lord, uh, His Lordship on, on display in the judgments. And then the second coming, His Lordship on display in the kingdom blessings. And it concludes with that final rebellion and how God sends fire out of heaven and destroys them all, uh, concludes again with uh, darkness. 
follows the, the pattern of a, of a typical Jewish day. Now, have you ever thought about this? Uh, without divine intervention, the trend for humanity is ever increasing downward, a downward pattern in terms of depravity. Uh, we need divine intervention. Humanity needs divine intervention. And without it, all is lost. Uh, that is true individually, and it's true corporately. You know, there's none that seeks after God. No, not one. No, nobody ever goes after God. It wasn't Adam and Eve that went searching for God in the garden, right? It wasn't Adam wondering, God, God. No, no, it was, it was God who came looking for Adam. That's always the direction. It's always about divine intervention. That's true individually. It's true corporately in terms of humanity in general. Now, after the fall of mankind, things got steadily worse. You noted this in the book of Genesis? Things got worse and worse until, quote, every intent of the thoughts of mankind were only evil continually. That's really bad. So bad that God brought a worldwide flood that destroyed everybody and everything that was air-breathing, with the exception of those who got on the ark, right? But uh, it built to that point. And apart from divine intervention, all would have been lost back there. Called for divine intervention in the form of a worldwide flood. After the flood, things started heading downhill pretty quickly again, to where United Rebellion became so bad that God said, quote, now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Genesis eleven six. So we're talking about the Tower of Babel. They're building this monument, this idolatrous monument to the glory of themselves in contrast to where God had said, I want you to be scattered throughout the world. Nope, they were going to do it their way. Well, God intervened once again by confusing their language and scattered them throughout the face of the earth. Then, out of those nations, God called one man by the name of Abraham, through which he would build a special chosen nation. But it wasn't too long, and even this chosen people spiraled downward into the times, those dark times of the judges. Terrible times. Those judges, those times of the judges, the judges were okay, some of them. Not, even the judges weren't always so good. I mean, seriously. But it was an ugly time where everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. And when everybody's left to do their own thing in their own eyes, it's not a pretty picture. Time after time, during those times of the judges, God intervened to bring them back to repentance. Then came the time of the kings, which did not fare much better. The people continually gravitated towards idolatry which resulted in God's divine intervention in the form of judgment that resulted in captivity. Captivity. Coming back from captivity, the people gravitated towards religious legalism. They left the idolatry, but now they were heavily steeped into religious legalism. They became so bad that when the Messiah showed up, the number one enemy that he had was the religious leaders in Israel. And so bad that they led the nation in re the rejection of their Messiah. 
Once again, God intervened in divine intervention, in divine judgment, in causing his temple to be destroyed in 70 AD and the Jews to be scattered this time throughout the entire world. That brings us to the church age. How's the church age doing? How's the church age done? I mean, we're in the kingdom here, right? No, we're not. The course of the church age, the overall trend is growing apostasy. As Paul said, I'm not saying it. Well, I am, but I'm just quoting it. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. And that's what we see today. They have. Yes, there have been pockets of revival. Praise the Lord. But once Christianity has gone into an area, the general trend tends to be downward. You understand that all the major universities that were first started, for the most part, in the United States, started out as Christian organizations, Christian universities, wanting to take a stand for God in their educational endeavors. Where are they today? Well, I'll tell you where they are. They're all in apostasy. All of those old founding uh, institutions, they're all in apostasy. Uh, what John Whitcomb used to call the, you know, the uh, institutional second law of thermodynamics. Everything's breaking down. It goes down. I mean, this is not a good record. Not a good record. And so as we are awaiting the next great divine intervention, which is described in the Bible as the last day's day of the Lord. We're building towards the ultimate climactic day of the Lord. That's what's happening. And apart from that, all would be lost. God will remove his true church. He's building forever family. Whosoever will can come. The invitation is going out. And when the church is completed, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. He's going to take us back. Take us back to Father's house. And then he's going to put his people, I'm talking about Israel, into the purifying fires of the tribulation period, which is called the time of Jacob's trouble. But Jeremiah 30 verse 7 goes on to say, but he shall be saved out of it. They're going to survive it. Israel is going to survive it, but it's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble. This intervention in the 70th week of Daniel will be the greatest of all judgment interventions. Worldwide in scope. And will result in national Israel finally turning to the Lord. And then will come the second coming. When the Messiah Jesus comes and ushers in the blessing phase of the day of the Lord. And in this kingdom phase, Christ will rule with a rod of iron, clearly manifesting his lordship in a way that will be totally unchallenged. I mean, he, when he rules with a, a rod of iron, there'll be nobody walking around saying, I'm not sure he's Lord. They'll all know it. The whole world will know it. Finally, at the end of the millennial reign, Satan will be loosed for a short time. And it doesn't take long for the repopulated earth, those born during the kingdom era, to head south. And by that I mean downward. And follow Satan in his final stand of rebellion. 
God will again intervene in the very last phase of the day of the Lord intervention with fire from heaven devouring them all. Thus, the day of the Lord will close the chapter on human history and the door will open to the eternal state where we have a new heaven and a new earth. Well, in Zephaniah, the first two and a half chapters largely deal with the dark judgment phase of the day of the Lord. But then here in Zephaniah 3, 9 through 20, we have the kingdom blessing phase dealt with. Throughout redemptive history, God consistently holds out the kingdom hope for his people. People need hope. We need hope. People without the Lord are really without hope beyond this life. And they consistently become disillusioned. Uh, World Magazine reported saying, this is the latest issue, that 44% of teens reported feeling persistently sad and hopeless. And they shared that 26% of young girls had contemplated suicide over the last year. What a terrible situation. People need hope. And praise the Lord, he is a God that provides hope. Ultimately, kingdom hope. If you're in Ukraine tonight and the missiles are falling, where's your hope? It's in the United States, of course. Hopefully it's a little higher, a little higher. As a believer, you have a kingdom hope. Come what may, the kingdom is coming. As God's people, when we come to the end of this life, our kingdom hope remains. The best is still yet to be. The end here is not the end. We're on our way to the kingdom. We're going to experience an exodus, which means... I was just seeing if anybody listened this morning. Literally, the road out, right? We come to our road out, where we go off to the glory land on our way to the kingdom. In Zephaniah 3.8, God says that he has determined to gather all the nations and pour out on them his fierce anger in judgment. We don't have to wonder where it's going. He tells us that right there in verse 8. Wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination, my determination, he says, this is God speaking. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms to pour on them my indignation and my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. This is what God has determined. The world is on a collision course with God's judgment. God is on record as saying so. But then, in the very next verse, God says he's going to bring about restoration for his repentant people. They will be a changed people. It will be a time of boundless joy for both God and his people, as seen in Zephaniah 3, 14 through 17. And that brings us to the conclusion of the book of Zephaniah in chapter 3, 18 through 20. Notice what he says, <clears throat> verse 18. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. God will do this. God will bring about Israel's restoration. Nine times, nine times in Zephaniah 3, 9 through 20, God says, I will. Note this. I will restore. 
I will take away who rejoice in pride. I will leave a meek and humble people. I will gather those who sorrow. I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame. I will appoint them for praise. I will bring you back. I will give you fame and praise. Pretty clear who's going to do it. It's going to be God. God says, I will do this. Clearly, this will be a God thing. He will make it happen. Now, what a great encouragement this is to the godly remnant who have also had to endure very hard times before the kingdom blessings get here. The kingdom is coming. We have hope. God will do this. He is very clear and emphatic. Now, prior to the second coming, many Jews will come back to the land. We saw this in chapter 2, verse 1. But not all of them. Even at the second coming, at the time of the second coming, many Jews who have come to faith will have to be gathered back to the land of promise. And they will be. That's what he's saying here in verse 18. I will gather. God will then gather the godly remnant back to the land who who sorrowed over being scattered out of the land and not being able to worship at the annual feast as proscribed by God in the Old Testament as seen, for example, in Exodus 23 and Leviticus 23. Now, these godly people had been burdened by the reproach put on them in being exiled out of the promised land. It had hampered their worship. But now God will restore them. And as we noted in verse 10, God calls them my worshipers. In the kingdom, the special place of worship will be the millennial temple in the holy city, in the capital city of Jerusalem. Now we have a hint here that at least some of the biblical feasts in the Old Testament will once again be celebrated in the kingdom. Zechariah seems to support this, indicating certainly that the Feast of Tabernacles will be celebrated. Uh, Note this in Zechariah, chapter 14, 16, and 17. It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king. That's why they're going. They're going up to Jerusalem to worship the great king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So they're going up to keep this specific Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts... Uh, to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. So God's going to withhold the rain. You don't go up to Jerusalem, no rain for you. Probably after a little bit, you start thinking, you know what? It's dry around here. We should go up. We should go worship. Verse 19. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. He's talking to the Jews. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At the second coming, there's going to be a divine reckoning with all those who have afflicted God's people, the Jews. God will truly bless those who have blessed his people and curse those who have cursed them. And he will deal with those who have afflicted his people. But he will save the lame, that is, the afflicted, and he will gather those who were driven out. God is going to bring his people home. And what a homecoming it's going to be. The people of Israel and the land of Israel belong together as soul and body. Isaiah repeatedly talks about a special highway that will be constructed to make the way 
of return possible for God's people. And God will appoint for converted Israel praise and fame in all the very places where they previously had been put to shame. Suddenly it will be the greatest thing in all the world to be a Jew. The Jews don't necessarily feel that way today. You know, fiddler on the roof, Lord, could you maybe choose somebody else for a while? (laughs) That's kind of how they feel today. But not here, not now. Tim LaHaye says, with this millennial blessing, national Israel will go from being the most hated nation in the world today to being the most admired and looked up to nation. Anti-Semitism will be a thing of the past. And indeed it will be. We read about this in Zechariah 8.23. Thus says the Lord of hosts in those days, Ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Wow. Let's find ourselves a Jew and, and attach ourselves to a Jew. That's where the blessing is. Verse 20. At that time I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the time of kingdom blessing. And Israel is going to be prominent in receiving these blessings. Again, the emphasis is made here in verse 20 that that God will gather them. God's going to bring them all back. There will be no exception. And once again, the emphasis is made that God will give them fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth. The Jews will be recognized as the most special people in all the world. They will truly be favored above all. And of course, this is what God had intended back in the Old Testament had they been an obedient people. But Deuteronomy 26, 18 and 19 Also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. Just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments. And he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor. That you may be a holy people to the Lord your God just as he has spoken. And then Deuteronomy 28, 13. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. Which, of course, they weren't. They were the stiff-necked, disobedient people. But now, in the kingdom, restored Israel finally comes full circle to repentance. To where they can receive the blessing that God intends for them as a people. Restored Israel will now be in the place of honor that God intended all along for his people with a special holy calling. And Paul deals with with this in the New Testament as well in, in Romans chapter 11. And God says, this will happen when I return your captives before your eyes. This phrase, return your captives, is equivalent to saying, restore your fortunes. It will be an obvious God thing when he does it. As he says, before your eyes. They will see it unfold right before their eyes. Henry Morris says, For thousands of years, including today, the name Israelite or Jew has been a reproach and a byword in all nations. In the day when the Lord will turn back your captivity 
However, it will not be a reproach, but a praise. God's going to turn it around. And then the book closes with, says the Lord. Says who? Says the Lord. The Lord here is Yahweh, the sacred covenant name for God. The covenant God of Israel will do this. It's a divine certainty. You don't have to wonder about it. He says so. It has God's word of promise on it. All the covenant promises made to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant will now be fulfilled. Ultimately, all these promises will see their fulfillment in the millennial kingdom. It's one reason we have to have a millennial kingdom. Otherwise, these covenant promises are not fulfilled, which is my major beef with covenant theology, which says now somehow they're fulfilled in the church spiritually. No, they're not. They will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. Moody Bible Commentary says, At best, the prophets used the return from Babylon as a mere foreshadowing of the future Messianic age when the Lord would be faithful to keep his covenant with Israel literally and completely. I love this from uh, Pastor S.M. Lockridge. This is just a little part of uh, what he said and preached here years ago. Uh, That's my king. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Now, that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, all the power belongs to my king. We're around here talking about black power, white power, and green power. But in the end, all that matters is God's power. Thine is the power. Yes, and the glory. We try to get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all his. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? Forever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all the evers, then there's still forevermore. Amen. In the day of the Lord, all will know Jesus is Lord over all. Ultimately, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Habakkuk 2.14 says, In that day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know what that is? Total saturation. In that day the earth will be totally saturated and filled with the truth that the Lord is the Lord over all. Nobody's arguing about lordship in that day. That's going to be clear to everybody. It will be a time of glorious restoration for God's people Israel and for the whole world. And here you say, well, what are we supposed to do about it? I'll tell you, the Bible tells you really what you're supposed to do about it. Listen, Isaiah 62, verse 7. And give him, God, give him no rest till he establishes and till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Well, how do you give God no rest? What's that mean? 
It means you're constantly praying for God to bring it about. Keep praying. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Give him no rest till he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Keep on praying. Keep praying your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For indeed, his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the day of the Lord will prove it. Amen. Let's stand and have our closing song. Be number 35. It will be worth it all.